0: Verse, hopefully that is familiar to you, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Verse 14. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. An old preacher, now with the Lord, named Martin Lloyd-Jones, I was reading some of his writings this week. He says that there is no time of the year in which one can prove the existence of the devil <laughs> than the season in which we celebrate the birth of Christ he said from the crass materialism and the sentimentality of it in other words this, uh, everybody's, uh, Christmas is about having good will to everyone Uh, Everyone be happy, feel good. And then just the fact that it's often used as a time of favorite indulgences. He says, Satan's attempt to distort the meaning of the virgin birth and his success in it. Is evidence of his existence. For what truth has been distorted, omitted, than the birth of Christ? Others take the opportunity during this time to mock the birth of Christ. Bill Maher, one of my favorite theologians, He says the virgin birth of Christ in the first century is like any other myth of which the ancient gods were said to have some sort of supernatural beginning. He points to Hercules and Horus and and some such as that, but there are some pretty big differences between the births and origins of the gods of the pagans and the virgin birth of Christ. One is, none of those were predicted. Amen. Here in Isaiah seven fourteen, this is 700 years before Christ. Christ's birth was predicted that he would be born of a virgin. They, their fame arose and their, the narratives about their births arose after they became famous. The gods would, be, would do something in history according to the myths and legends and then they would come up with these birth stories. Not so with Christ. And none of these were holy. For example, uh, one god was the son of Zeus. Zeus was a philanderer. He was the main god on Mount Olympus And he would go and impregnate mortal women. How different is the birth of Christ? Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High. And that holy child shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit. The holy child predicted by the holy scriptures. How different. What a different environment. And none of these ancient gods were ever believed or remembered. I doubt if if you all could even name one. I've mentioned a couple of them. Other than those, can you even come up with one of them? But most in the world have heard the name. Jesus. So why is the virgin birth so maligned, so distorted, so attacked? What is it about the virgin birth that's so important? And I asked that question this morning. Why the virgin birth? And I'm going to give you three quick reasons. Number one, the virgin birth is God's sign to us all that He is with us. If you'll look at the backdrop of Isaiah 7 so that you understand the context in which this prophecy is given, you'll find that Ahaz, the king of Judah, is under... An attack, there's a conspiracy. Several nations have come together and brought their armies together, and their, their intent is to wipe out the kingdom of Judah over which Ahaz is king. And so God, in, in verse 2, it says, When the house of David was told this, that Syria is in league with Ephraim, and then the heart of Ahaz. Isaiah 7, verse 2, and and the heart of his people shook like trees of the forest when the wind blows. They were scared to death. We're not going to survive. They're going to wipe us out. So God sends the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz, and he says, you go and tell Ahaz. That's not going to happen. I am with you. I know that you're not worthy of my presence, but I am telling you, Isaiah, you go say to him, they're not going to survive. You're going to survive. And you're going to survive because I am present. And I am protecting you. And then God says, and tell Ahaz, if he doesn't believe it, ask for a sign. He says you can ask for a sign in verse 10 of the Lord your God, as deep as Sheol or high as heaven. Whatever kind of sign you want. And Ahaz, who has secretly secured mercenaries from another nation to come and fight with him, says to God, no, I, that's fine, We, I, I'll be alright. And God says then in verse 12 of verse 13... Why are you tiring me out? You're wearying God. Verse 14. And the Lord Himself will give you a sign. You may not want one, but I'm going to give you one. A sign of what? A sign that you will survive. A sign that you will be preserved. That your enemies will not conquer you. Here is your sign. See, some of you are wondering today if God's best has escaped you, and if He is really with you. I am going to tell you that God gave you a sign. In fact, He says in verse fourteen, "The Lord Himself will give you," and if uh, if you'll note the word "you," that's in the plural, "you all." I'm going to give you all a sign that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and it's proof that He is God with us. Why is the virgin birth so important? It's important because it means the God of heaven, the God of creation, the God of the exodus, the God of miracles and the God of the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has not abandoned His people. He will save us. He will preserve us. He will keep us. He will bless us. The virgin birth is a sign of it. So I'm glad you're here today. That You can go home today and say, Hey, you know, God gave me a sign. People say, What was it? The virgin birth. Can't get much more convincing than that. That's why Satan wants to obscure that story. There's another reason why the virgin birth. It's because it not only is a sign that God is with us, but it's a necessity for God to be with us. If God's going to come down as a man... There's a bit of a problem there because mankind in his DNA since Adam is a fallen creature. He is sinful. He he has an evil bent. And when I say he, I'm speaking of she also. Amen? (laughs) Getting in trouble there. It's a necessity. The virgin birth is necessary if God is going to be with us without partaking of our evil nature. Now that we have an evil nature, I would hope that all of you understand that's the teaching of the Bible. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful above all things. The heart of man is capable of this great evil. And there's a bent. There's A natural inclination to evil. But if God is going to become a man, how is he going to do it without becoming sinful? And the answer is, the blood of a baby is not the blood of the mother. And a virgin birth has neither the blood of the father nor the mother. Dr. James Kennedy, who is now with the Lord, a brilliant Presbyterian. He, when, when I used to listen to him preach, I know I want to be a Presbyterian when I grow up. But he writes... And I'm going to let him, I'm going to use his words rather than mine. He explains it better. He says, from the moment of conception and formation of the embryo, the baby has its own bloodstream. Not one drop of the mother's blood enters the fetus or vice versa. A baby's body has a separate and unique genetic code and sometimes, many times, has a different blood type than the mother. It's not the mother's blood. Now, if Jesus is born of a virgin, that means he has bypassed Joseph's DNA, which is fallen and broken, along with all of Adam's race. And he's bypassed the mother's blood, since the baby's blood is not the blood of the mother. Well, then whose blood... Where did he get this blood? And do we have Acts 20, 28? This is uh, an amazing text. Look at this. Paul tells the pastors in Ephesus, he says, Pay careful attention to yourself and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And care for the church which he purchased. Or obtained. And I left out one word. He says, care for the church of God, which he, God, purchased or obtained with his own blood. (laughs) God, Jesus, fully God, fully man, uniquely and genetically comprised and created has bought us with the blood of God. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Now that's blood valuable enough to put before the Father as a sacrifice for any sin you would ever commit. It was fully human, and he was fully human, but not fallen He was fully God, but not without humanity. In fact, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised as a human being. When Jesus came, when the Son of God came in the flesh, he took on human nature. Not fallen human nature, but human nature. And when he was crucified, he died as a man. And when he was raised, he was raised as a glorified, resurrected man. And now that he's in heaven, he ascended as a man in a human body and will always for eternity be one who has embraced the flesh of humanity. When you see Jesus in heaven, he will have a body. All the sacrifices of the Old Testament had to be without blemish. And the reason was because they pictured the coming sacrifice of Christ. That Christ was without blemish. He had a sinless birth, He had a sinless life, and He had a sinless death, and He had a sinless resurrection. And now He is in heaven in a sinless position of intercession for us. John 8, 46, Jesus turns to the Pharisees, which could smell a sin a mile off, and He says to them, He says, which one of you convinces me of a sin, or convicts me of sin? I I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He, said, he turns to people who are good at accusation. He said, who among you can point out one sin? Prove it. Prove that I've ever sinned. What an amazing statement. What if I go home today? We're planning to have a family get-together at the house. And just before we have the meal, I stand up and I say to my children and my grandchildren and my wife is there and I make sure she's listening and I say, which one of you can point out one single sin? I know of none. They would think I was an idiot. And they'd be right. But Jesus did it. And it seemed to ring true. The Pharisees was like, uh, hmm, I'm not sure. I, I can't think of anything. Can you? No, I can't think of anything. He was sinless. He has come as a man without participating in the fallen evil nature of humanity because of the virgin birth. And we believe this. We believe Jesus was sinless, somebody said, because his closest friends who knew him best believed he was your close friends know who one of Peter's one of Jesus' close friends was Peter here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2:22 he Jesus Peter says 1 Peter 2:22 he committed no sin and deceit was never found in his mouth That's what Peter, who lived with him three and a half years, day and night. When he was reviled, he did not revile back. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten. Peter saw him at the worst times and the good times. So the virgin birth is a sign God is with us. And it's also a necessary qualification for him to be with us. Virgin birth is a requirement. If he is going to be with us, truly with us, then he must be virgin born. One final thing. The virgin birth is a sign God is with us, a necessity for God to be with us. And third, it is the basis on which we can be with God. For how shall we appear in His presence? How shall we enter heaven? How shall we have assurance that we will enter heaven? How do I know? Yes, Jesus is holy. God is holy. I agree the virgin birth bypasses the sinfulness of man, but how does that help me? Oh, my friend, this is the gospel. Romans 10:4, Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. His righteousness, His holy being, His holy person, His holy birth, life, death, resurrection. This is all given to us as a free gift in the moment of faith and when God counts us righteous in Him. He calls it in Romans five seventeen, the Christian is those who receive the free gift of righteousness. See, for us to be with Him, we need a righteousness, a holiness, a standing, and a status that we do not have. And we get that when we receive the person, the holy person of Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 7, 18, In me there is no good thing. How can we be with God when there is no good thing? We get it from the standing we have, the position, the gift of free righteousness. Some of you may know the name Adrian Rogers, pastor for many years at Bellevue Baptist in Memphis, Tennessee. And Adrian Rogers was I mean universally recognized as a godly gentleman. Wonderful preacher, pastor, Christian. uh, Voted uh, several times to be the uh, president of the largest Protestant denomination in the world. And I always admired him, looked up to him, and do still do, he's with the Lord now. But one day he was preaching and he kind of gave his testimony and he said he got pulled over by a policeman. And he talked about how he lied to the policeman and how God... Convicted him of lying to the policeman. I was like, what? Not Adrian Rogers. You don't lie to the policeman. I would never lie to a policeman. (laughs) I would stand in the pulpit and lie to y'all that I would never lie. But I thought, man, even Adrian Rogers. Even Adrian Rogers. See, the best of us must have the person of Christ to be our standing before. It. Aren't you glad we have that? Aren't you glad? No wonder it's joy to the world the Lord has come, because He's for me, and His righteousness is for me, and His standing is for me, and His holiness is imputed to me. John R. Stott some of you might know his name. Uh, not as many as Adrian Rogers or John R. Stott is from England, but he was the Billy Graham of England. And Time magazine put him among the 100 most influential men in the world. And indeed he was a single man, he gave his whole life to the gospel and pastoring and he made a lot of money because he wrote a lot of books and he took nearly all of his money and he gave it away to young pastors to go to school the Queen of England invited him to be her chaplain most influential when Billy Graham wanted a helper for a worldwide organization he called on John R Stott for counsel he was his counselor to Billy Graham and R T Kendall one of my favorite preachers went to visit John R Stott just before he died he was in a nursing home or a full-time care facility in England in London, and so R.T. Kendall goes in, and John R. Stott, very weak, emaciated, and in the conversation, R.T. Kendall says to him, I just, I just want to thank you for all you've done for the church. Thank you for all you've done for the kingdom of God. And John R. Stott looked at him, and R.T. Kendall said, I'll never forget this. He said... John R. Stott said, if people really knew me, they would spit in my face. R.T. Kendall said, whoa, what? (laughs) What? Now, I have no idea what the man meant. Maybe it's something like Isaiah 6 and where... He saw he had seen the Lord and he knew what it was to to behold and know and experience God. And so he felt, woe is me, I am undone. Maybe it was some experience like that. But the best men and women of God know you do not want to go into the presence of God on your own merits. But thank God we don't have to. We have Jesus, and that, my friend, will get you into heaven. It'll get you into the presence of God, and He calls it a free gift. Romans five seventeen. I give you this one more verse. Here is a verse that speaks of Christ. Psalm forty verse seven and eight. If you'll pull that pull that reference up. He says, this is Jesus speaking uh, regarding His future. This is from the Psalms, so it's kind of a prediction. He says, Jesus says, I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. He's coming according to the scroll of the book. That is, He's going to keep the letter of the law. Exactly as it is written. That's what I'm going to do. It's the will of God written down. Then he goes on to say in verse 8, I desire to do your will, O God, my God. Your law is in my heart. He not only keeps the letter of the law, he keeps the spirit of the law. That's Jesus And that is what is imputed to us when we stand before God. It's what it means to go to heaven on the righteousness of Christ. And thank God for the gospel. The virgin birth is a sign that God is with us. It is a necessity by which He is with us. And it is the basis on which we can be with God. Amen. Do we have a special music right now? All right. Let's have our ushers come and we will let us worship this Savior that has come. He's certainly worthy of our worship and let us render our gifts to Him as they did when He was born. And uh, also we will have some special music while we give today. Let's pray together.